Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host, who would never dissolve this partnership into a dynamic uno, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I was feeling a little stressed, Andy, but then I thought to myself, why should I worry? Why should I care? (laughs) That's that's basically how I feel right now. I'm, I'm in a good place. Gee, what movie are we doing today, Larry? <laughs> we are doing Oliver and Company from 1988. Ooh, and we have guest stars. And we do have guest stars. So we have uh, my colleague who teaches with me at the Naslin Mann School of Writing, Gabriel Jason Dean, uh, who has had plays developed off-Broadway and regionally at various distinguished companies, including New York Theater Workshop, Manhattan Theater Club, uh, McCarter, uh, the Kennedy Center, Oregon Shakespeare, and many others. Uh, I want to actually do a shout out for one of his plays, Heartland, which was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. We also have Jesse Dean, uh, who trained at the Globe Theater in London and earned her MFA with a focus on classical work from Illinois State University. She is a multidiscipline theater maker, writer, performer, director, musician, and the associate artistic director of Moliere in the Park, which is Brooklyn's first free theater in Prospect Park. Gabriel and Jesse, thank you so much for coming with us today. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Yeah, our super pleasure. Excited to oh, be this here. is a super treat. Now, now we kind of limited your options to to Oliver and Company. Um, any, any, like so, so it's not like it's not like you were like it's Oliver or Company or nothing. Um, but I was wondering, and whatever your answer is, it's totally fine with us. What was your first impressions of Oliver and Company this go round? Well, uh, I, I, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> 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 I uh when when the option was presented, I was actually pretty excited about it because I I have a lifelong love of Oliver Twist, um, the the novel and the somewhat the musical, more the novel than the musical. Um, and I I had good feelings. I remember, you know, like going to see this movie with my mother in 1988. Um and yeah, it was different. I'll just say it was different this time. Uh my my take on it was quite different than it was as a fourth grader, third or fourth grader, whatever it was at that time. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the theater as a kid too. And, um, and it, it wasn't a movie that stayed with me particularly for a long time, but I do remember the McDonald's toys yes. that we got in the happy yes. meal. Somehow that image really sticks with me and playing with those toys and sort of like interacting with what this story was and trying to remake it. Um, as a kid, I, it's always been a movie that I thought, oh, yeah, I know that movie. That's a familiar thing to me. Um, and it was very different watching it as an adult because I didn't realize just how much it tried to stick to the plot of Oliver Twist. Did it? Sort of. <laughs> I'm saying it tried. I'm saying it tried, mm. it tried with all its We're going to disagree on that <laughs> one. <That's good. laughs> I think, no, I don't think it succeeded at every moment. But I think there were so many elements of it that that the the director or the writer tried to just kind of force along this track that didn't necessarily want to. Want yeah, to this work. movie for me feels like what if I was going to categorize something as like forgotten Disney? It's a movie we all went to see, but it's a movie almost no one remembers. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's and like there are other movies that are that I've seen with Disney, which I didn't like, which were really, really bad and terrible, which I remember vividly. This one, this one is just, I, it, there's a blank spot. I know I went to see it. I know I did. But, but if you told me like I had been abducted by aliens for those two hours and they reinserted me in the theater, that also tracks because I've got no memory of it. Yes. I think I, there there yeah. are reasons for that. I'm not, yeah, we're going to yeah, get we into will. it, but yeah, it's it's the, the the music. The music's yeah. The music's like very sticky. Back, Agree. I knew the words. Yes. Agree. I could sing them. I was like, oh yeah, that's stuck. And Billy Joel stuck because my mom was a big fan, so that's why she she wanted to see the movie. Which is why I think a lot of people went to see the movie. But that's <laughs> yes. 
And hearing Bette Midler bark <laughs> as a dog is something I don't think I recalled as a child or ever leaned into. But this time around, really, I had this image of her standing in the studio barking into a microphone. And I thought, they got Bette. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, Andy, do you have some key facts for us about this movie? I do have some key facts. So after the release of The Black Cauldron, which we've covered on this uh, podcast, Disney CEO Michael Eisner and studio chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg invited the Disney animators to pitch some new ideas for animated features. And the first ideas to come from that meeting were The Little Mermaid and Treasure Island in Space, which of course becomes Treasure Planet. Which are both amazing movies. Uh, both amazing movies. But then story artist Pete Young suggested Oliver Twist, but with dogs. And he was like, that's the one. <laughs> that's well, the one we're going to go with. Well, this idea was really appealing to both Eisner and Katzenberg, who when they were at Paramount, and remember, they were taken from Paramount, Disney right. plucked them up, right? Uh, they had wanted to make a contemporary live-action musical of Oliver Twist set in New York City. Okay. And so I don't know if Pete knew that and pitched that to make that happen, but so, you know, who, who would know? But uh, this was the first Disney animated feature with Eisner and Katzenberg at the helm. So when they're making the movie, the idea was to combine all of the best of Disney animation into one feature. So they were using the pastel paintings of New York, along with some computer-generated images, and then they were putting hand-drawn animated characters on top of that. I have to say, I found yes. it jarring, the, the I, art style hmm. of this. I, I felt yeah. like the background, not that any of the art individually was bad but i felt like the life of the characters on screen contrasted with the flatness of the backgrounds behind right. them and i don't i don't yeah. i don't mean to imply a, either of those things are bad choices aesthetically individually but i think juxtaposed i found it i found it weird so that was the idea that's that's my uh, yeah so hey that's you, that's what you happened. never you never <laughs> slam someone for taking a shot at something yeah right yeah yeah you try it no. and and if, if it works you're a genius and if it doesn't it's you oliver and something company. right that's right so the cast of oliver and <laughs> company as we've mentioned consisted of a wide range of new yorkers including uh broadway shirley ralph uh new york shakespeare festivals roscoe lee brown and of course 80s favorites cheech marin Bette Midler, who we've mentioned, and Billy Joel, who we've mentioned. So, Right. Uh, the new Disney management also was more used to paper screenplays than storyboards. And Disney hadn't really done a musical in quite some time, so there were a lot of moving parts on this piece, um, as a, not just in animation, but also in storytelling. So some techniques for, for storyboarding resurrected from as far back as Lady and the Tramp. And you have story ideas that are coming out of sketches, and then the beats of the script are fueling both of these kinds of ideas. At one point, Roy Disney has the idea of Fagin attempting to steal a rare panda from the zoo. What? Uh, that, plot, <laughs> that plot idea got scrapped. So the team was clearly having story problems. So they no, no, brought You're in, just going to walk past the stealing a panda from the zoo? I mean, that's all the information I could was? find out about it. They no, 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 no. Said, no but I want to ask it. this question. Yes. Was the panda the Oliver character in that version of the script? I might I do not think have... so. No. Oh, because that would be amazing. That would have been so Oliver, much better. Oliver yes. Twist is so... a panda bear in New York City. There's the pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there it is, right? So the team's having story problems. They bring in Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, and Ward Kimball out of retirement for help. And you might remember that Frank and Ollie and Kimball were all part of Disney's Nine Old Men. So the core animators who create everything from... Snow White to the Great Mouse Detective. So they helped iron it out. And that's what, what we have is what they helped with. Um, so Oliver and Company premieres on November 18th, 1988, on the 60th anniversary of Steamboat Willie. And The Land Before Time comes out on the same day. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Not surprising. Whoa. The Land Before Time starts uh, it, it does well, actually beats Oliver and Company, but then Oliver and Company uh, comes back and becomes the first animated film to gross 100 million worldwide, 
probably because of those McDonald land toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, and Disney was back to its initial goal from the 1940s of creating one animated feature a year. Now the critics were not impressed overall. Uh, Gene Siskel actually gave a Disney movie, a thumbs down. And he which, said, which he never does, right? No, no. And he said, the story is too fragmented because Oliver's story gets too sidetracked from the story in the film that gets convoluted, too calculated for the Bette Midler, Billy Joel crowd, as well as little kids. Yeah. Yet, Peter Travers did like, from People Magazine, did like the movie. And he said, with its captivating characters, sprightly songs, and zap-happy animation, Oliver and Company adds up to a tip-top frolic. So, that's what I've got. There's not a lot out there about this movie. Usually there'll be a lot of commentary. I think there's a war going on between studios at this point as to who's going to be the animation giant. And I think that a lot of that is, you know. I, I mean, Land Before Time spawned something like 13 sequels. Oh, yeah. Maybe more. Mm. I might be undercounting it. It is. It becomes a behemoth. And then Oliver and Company is forgotten well in the night in the 90s when when oliver and come well when all dogs come to go to heaven comes out right Uh, disney re-releases oliver and company at the same time (laughs) oh my gosh this makes so much sense because as the movie started I thought to myself, why did I think this was all dogs go to heaven? Because it looks very similar. And the the lead dogs are very similar, right? Yes, they are. Did you you see or catch that there were some dogs from other animated Disney movies in the first montage with all the dogs? Yes. I saw saw (laughs) Jock and Trusty from Lady Uh and the Tramp and Peggy, uh, the the female dog. Um, And Pongo. Pongo is is uh, from 101 Dalmatians, right? Princess Aurora yeah. is walking down the yes. street. She's got a yes. she's got like a blue purse, but otherwise it's Princess Aurora. Um, totally. The only other one I caught, and I, I, there may be more. Uh, Georgette has a framed photograph of Radigan from the Great Mouse Detective among her admirers. Right. Oh. Not close that. Oh, um, at least I thought it was Radigan. I think it's Radigan. Well, and Georgia is dressed oh, like Cinderella, right? With the birds that dress her and yes. the whole. Yes. I mean, that's definitely a callback yes. there. So lots definitely. of. And there was a dog. Yeah, there was a dog from Lady and the Tramp in there that mm-hmm. I caught with the. I can't remember who it was, but um, but it was so funny seeing the montage of dogs and, and pulling from all. And the honestly, where was the Twilight Bark in this one, Andy? Twilight Bark was <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Uh, it was missed. Well, it was missed. All right. Yeah. So um, let's get into plot. Yes. And uh, Gabriel and Jesse, whenever we talk about plot, we begin with something called the Manish Tana. The Manish Tana comes from uh, the Jewish holiday of Passover. Uh, we, we ask at Passover, why is this night different from all other nights? Why are we doing something special tonight? And when I apply the Manish Tana, when we apply the Manish Tana to a movie, Generally speaking, what we're asking is we could open at various different points in the lives of our characters. Why are we choosing to open here? What do we get out of? What do we what do we either need? What do we get out of starting the movie at this particular moment in this particular place? Sometimes that's related to the inciting incident. Other times it isn't. Uh, in this particular, uh, in this particular Manish Tana, we get shots of New York City, uh, specifically Manhattan. Um, we we hear "Once Upon a Time in New York City" playing as we see a box full of kittens uh, are being sold for five dollars a kitten, which really is a good deal. Uh, we watch. We watch this opening sequence in which a bunch of adorable kittens, one of which is Oliver, uh, are are playing around. They're all buddy buddies, but one by one, the kittens start to get adopted until Oliver is the last one left in the box. We see through the passage of time that no longer is anyone trying to charge $5, but now it's free, It and, and it starts to rain, and... Oliver has to save himself basically from drowning in the box. Why do we open our movie here? 
And and we can talk about like, is it a good opening or is it a bad opening? But before we even do that, what do we think the thinking is in terms of starting our movie here in this particular way? I think that, well, uh, it's going to be hard for me to talk about it positively. Right, um, yeah, I've been there. I think, <laughs> I think the thinking is flawed, uh, uh, but but I think it's a shortcutting mentality, right? There's so much, uh, if you look at the original source material, there's so much backstory before uh, Oliver meets Dodger in the original and in the musical as well. Uh, we, we see Oliver suffer. We see him uh as an orphan um, I, for this, I, I feel like that's the issue is that we, we, the stakes are life and death. It feels like, right. He's going to drown. He's going to be attacked by dogs, but it's so quick that we don't, I didn't have an emotional connection to the character. Um, and I also didn't feel like what he needed the most was a home, was a family, right. Um, it sort of felt like him against the city uh, more than anything else. So for me, it misses the boat with not giving us a little bit more of that context and backstory. I have ideas about how you might do that, um, well, but maybe no, maybe no, please, because Andy and I had a conversation pre-production, and if your ideas are my ideas, then I don't have to say them. So, so I'd <laughs> say that saves me some work. Uh, what, what do you, what would you do differently here in this, in this opening? I think I'd just start a little earlier, you know, in in Oliver's life, um, the. I mean, this goes gets to a big thing. I think that like the movie misses the mark on it leaves so much of the darkness that's in Oliver Twist out of it. It really tries to erase it, um, which is a big mistake. I mean, you look at the land before time, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, does it embrace the oh, hell out yeah. of the darkness. Right. right? Sure. <laughs> like we see the mom. Do you remember like weeping yeah. in the theater? Um, There's prejudice I, I, I between don't... the different dinosaur races. I remember. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, and kids kids handle that stuff. They, 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 they digest it. They see it around them and, and they're seeing it with dinosaurs with this. It, it feels like it's, it's just a romp. We're just trying to entertain. Um, well, the music also doesn't service the first right. part of the story very well, right? Like you come in with this kind of poppy sound once upon a time in New York city, and it doesn't match the way that this, this baby kitten has been suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. And who knows how long the baby kitten has been suffering. Not to mention, we don't get to hear the baby kitten's voice at all, mm-hmm. hardly at all until what the first, until you're in like 30 minutes into the movie, you finally like, hear the kitten right. speak in with some Dodger, way. Yeah. Like Dodger. 15 minutes in or so. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's those two things combined make it really hard to start to relate to. Yeah, the, it 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 really does feel like the music juxtaposed with the action aren't commenting on each other. They are two separate no. things that are happening simultaneously. Uh, just like I feel the art style is two separate things happening simultaneously, but none of it is saying anything. Uh, I mean, right. no, but I mean, if you had a big star like Billy Joel who was willing to come up with this song and sing it as the beginning song of the movie, like, wouldn't you take right. that and ride that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was Huey, Huey Lewis. Lewis. That right. may be the difference. Right. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's <laughs> so. Billy Joel might have gone a little darker. I, I'm going to throw out that here's here's the thing that is missing for me in the Manish Tana. I didn't give you ideas. Sorry, Larry. I no, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so, 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 my my concern is this: Oliver is randomly the last kitten standing in the box. But we're Mm -hmm. given no reason or explanation for why all the other kittens are getting adopted and he's not getting adopted. And that would give us something, two things for us. Number one, three, really. Number one, it would let us know Oliver's got an obstacle. This could be a physical obstacle that makes him undesirable to be adopted. It could be a personality issue. Maybe maybe he's too shy. Maybe the other kittens bully him. Something. It would give him something from the beginning that, that caused him not to be adopted that could bother him or that he could work to overcome or that or that the other when, when he's with the company they could deal with. But it would also set up a He's special in some way. Right now, he's our protagonist because he drew the short straw. He's the last one to be adopted. But there's nothing inherently special about him there, right? Um, And that's what we need. We need to... 
His circumstances stink. But I don't know this kitten at all, which is the third thing. I need to get to know him. I know that there's a protagonist and I know that Oliver exists, but that's not enough at the beginning. You need to do more with it. I mean, if you think about the stage version of Oliver, you think about the songs that you are first encountering, right? You're encountering um, the the hungry song. Food, glorious food. The name of it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. food, glorious food. Thank you. And then you encounter where is love, and you have like two whole minutes to fall in love with Mm -hmm. this kid who's looking for love, and you there's there's nothing that Mm -hmm. Oliver in Oliver and Co um, has that will endear us to him there, and make us want to follow that journey. There is, it's just poorly placed. It's his uh, feistiness, right. I think, that, that comes up later with Dodger and, and later with the, the Dobermans. I mean, that's the thing that makes him special. Like he can, he can hold his own with some Dobermans. That, if that was placed earlier, mm-hmm. right, it could also be considered a flaw. Show us this. The, the thing that gets him like thrown out Like fighting with all right? the other kittens in the box. Or one, one, sure. ki- one adult picks up the cat picks up Oliver is a little rough and Oliver scratches and they put the, they put the cat back down something. Yep. It also, it also makes him looking for love in a very generalized way. We can't picture any of these kids who are adopting these kittens. Really? We, the, he's looking for, he's a generalized character looking for another generalized character. Exactly. Yeah. Right. We never see a kid until the moment on the street where we see that, we see a lot of adult feet and we see this one child who doesn't want to take his eyes off of Oliver and vice versa, but it, it's exactly as you described it. So, so generalized that, that it doesn't stick. Right. It doesn't land. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think Disney generally at, in this era had a, had an issue with, uh, with flawed protagonists generally. I mean, we speaking, talk about right? it every like, week here. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. boy, isn't that what makes you lean into it? You know, like the the idea that he was a little rough. Mm-hmm. Right? If he was just a little rough, and still wondering, like, well, why doesn't anyone love me? Right? And that the journey of the movie is to see, like, how can you use that? How can you use that feisty spirit, right, to to do good in the world rather than? Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned journey because that's one of the issues that I have with this is that Oliver really doesn't have. I know he's doing things, but there's no internal work he's not really doing work yeah none of it is about him it's all about the world around him i think one fix i think one fix that could happen um and this is without redoing the whole movie um there and we've talked about this a number of times on this on this podcast there is a classic disney opening to movies where you meet the antagonists before you meet the protagonist um i think if you met sykes and fagan at the beginning and you see Fagin's dog gang, you know, being terrorized by Sykes's bullies. I, I feel like that kind of prologue opening could do a couple of things for us. Like, what? who's Fagin? Why does he owe Sykes money? Who's Dodger? Why does he feel like he has to lie in order to be the big man? And then you get to meet little Oliver and see him being trying to be just as scrappy, right? Well, maybe we do need to change the movie. Because what if he was just a scrappy, scratch somebody, and then, you know... But, but what you're actually you know, positive, it's not Andy, working for him. Yeah. And, and we'll talk more about this in protagonist problems is maybe the problem with this movie is Oliver is the inciting incident acting upon the dogs rather mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the dogs act Structure operating on Oliver's story that right. Oliver really operates on their story more. Uh, Every time a character is introduced, they take over the yes. story. Dodger takes over the story. Fagan takes over the story. Georgette. Uh, and on yeah. and on and on. Yes. And where's Oliver? And Jenny. <laughs> where's Oliver? And, and you're right, every single yeah. time. All right, so let's try to get through plot structure. And I think we can do it relatively quickly because there's not much there there in terms of <laughs> in terms of twists and turns. I uh, see what you did there. <laughs> thank you. It's an hour-long movie for yes. a reason. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, what, what is amazing for me is sometimes these short movies feel the longest I don't. Oh yes. I don't. Yes. I don't know why. I watched it. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> I. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I checked my phone. And it's only. Lot. It's only <laughs> an lot. hour and ten, and we might spend more time talking about it here than the movie might actually take. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but we're we're looking towards. We get a bunch of exposition, and uh, the exposition is relatively quick. We're in New York. There's a cat. 
I would probably argue if we're picking out an inciting incident that the movie posits that the meeting between Oliver and Dodger is intended to be the inciting incident of the movie. That the thing that's going to change, like that this is one of those quintessential uh, pairings that when the two of them meet, both of their lives are changed forever. I think the movie thinks that's the inciting incident of the story. I'm going to ask you guys, do you think the movie's right? Or is the inciting incident elsewhere? Uh, and and there's no wrong answer here because because it's subjective. Uh, but I'll throw out to you, I don't know that that's actually the inciting incident. It almost felt like the inciting incident was when the cardboard box went down the drain and Oliver knew for the first time that he had nowhere to go. Oh, God, that's such an actor answer. It's such an actor answer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a total actor answer. There are um, no, it is. It's a there are no wrong answers here unless you pick that's something right. from a different movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. The Land Before Time. When the dinosaur's, you know, the dinosaur's mother, mother died. died. That's, that's the inciting incident of Oliver. Right, right, right. That's, the, that's the act one break in Land Before Time. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's I, not it's not the inciting incident, but it's hard to figure out where the inciting incident actually occurs because I agree with you. It's not. I don't feel like it's where he meets Dodger. Yeah, I don't either. I think that yeah, yeah. It, it, you're right, Larry. It's definitely what the movie wants, what the writers want us to feel. But the issue is that there are the, the, the stakes are so low with it to me, right? Like he, it's a it's a boppy tune. Dodger's really cool. I like Dodger. I'm like I'm I'm into that character, uh, but. But what are the what are the stakes at that You're, point? The, the, and, and this is this is yeah, really the thing. Once Oliver is with the other dogs, his problem is solved. He's found yep, a home. He's right. got a family. Right. It might not be his final home the way that this movie is set up, but but he's got a community. He's got he's got people who love him. Fagin, Fagin is not well to do, but Fagin is willing to love Oliver. There, it does not. There's no conflict, and what we're looking for in an inciting incident is something that's going to spark conflict, that's going to lead us right. towards a climax. And unfortunately, the inciting incident for this movie, if I had to pick one, comes about a half hour to forty minutes in, where Sykes confronts Fagin and says, right. "You have." Three, three days, days to pay yeah. me back the money you borrowed or I'll kill you. That's where there are they suddenly will. stakes. But the problem with that being the inciting incident, it, they're not Oliver's. They're That's not, not Oliver's. Oliver's problem. Exactly. Right. Right. And he doesn't know about it. How can a cat know about this human problem? Right. It becomes his family's problem at that point. I, I mean, I can see, I can sort of put myself in the in the writer's room for a moment and say, I can talk myself right. back to that, right? I can say, oh, well, it is Oliver's problem because now this is his family and he cares about Fagin, right? But, but again, we haven't been given enough, I think, to emotionally connect to that. And, and I mean, this is getting into character, which we're going to get into, but, but Fagin is is all, way they tried to make him way too likable again. I feel like I want him to be more flawed and nefarious. And, mm -hmm. and I want to worry about Oliver's in the same way that I do in the book. I mean, that's why I turned pages as a fourth grader reading this book, because I thought, well, where is he safe? He thinks he's at home with Dodger and Fagan, but really he's not, right? right? Like Fagan's just using in, him. In the book, in this, Fagan weaponizes love with these children. Mm -hmm. He recognizes yeah. that yes. the ch what the children are looking for is a father figure. He is willing to pretend to be that so that they'll steal for him. But they're I mean, to a degree, we can argue about how human Fagin is as a character in the novel. But in this movie, Fagin, Fagin is not really weaponizing love. He really does love these dogs. He's willing to extend it to a cat that's kind of acting dog-like. And the crime that, that is being committed is a crime of desperation rather than this is how Fagin chooses to operate. Yeah. Right. I it, mean, in the in the musical, he's got that 
song, again, he's got the reviewing the situation where he's really going through it for a couple minutes where you start to realize like, oh, this guy is a lot more complex than I thought. And he could actually leave and never come back. And what would happen to those orphans? I think musical Fagin is my favorite. I think the, the novel is my favorite telling of the story, but I think musical Fagin is my favorite Fagin. Um, Uh It hurts to know that Fagin dies in that story. I think in the novel, I remember reading as a kid and my sense of justice was probably more intense as a fourth grader than it is now. My sense of mercy is a little (laughs) higher. Right. But I I remember thinking, yeah, all right. Fagin got what was coming to him, you know, and in the musical, I I actually played Dodger in high school. I remember, I remember being much more like, Oh, Fagin. Right. Mm. Like Fagin Fagin. is upset Um, because his first success, which is this young girl who's become an adult, gets murdered. And it's really like he thought he set her up for a good life and he realized the damage that he's. But ultimately, you know, he's impacted by it. And then he decides to do exactly what he's always done, which I think is interesting for a character. But this Fagin is so soft. The Oliver and Company Fagin is so soft that I don't think Oliver will have an unhappy life if at the end of this movie, Oliver is one of the gang. I just... No, right. no, not at all. He brings home dog. Right. Treats. I mean, the guy <laughs> has it together. He's yeah. got his ish together. He enough. Bring him, if he's he got brings it together home dog enough, treats right? And he's coming home every night and reading to the dogs. He's got his ish right. together. He's not manipulating them. It's genuine right. love. Yeah. And, and you know what? Sometimes it's the have-nots who need genuine love. Jenny's, Je- uh, we'll get to Jenny anyway. We got to get through plot because we got to get through plot. We got to <laughs> get through it. We obviously, just want to I talk really about do. Character. I almost always Good. do. I mean, okay, well, let's just, let's just fast forward no, a little bit. Where yeah, would you I'm, think the climax? I mean, the climax of this movie. Well, I mean, I think I think that matches your inciting incident, Larry. If the inciting incident is between Sykes and Fagan, then the climax makes sense. Well, then the climax is also this confrontation with Sykes at the end. Mm -hmm. But again, we have my standard complaint, which is Sykes doesn't know Oliver. Sykes is not Oliver's enemy. Uh, If Sykes is anyone's enemy, it's Fagan's enemy. Yes, Oliver's in danger. Yes, Jenny is in danger in this moment. But it, it really... It's a climax that doesn't feel like their story. Similarly, mm-hmm. I don't think that Oliver has a tough choice to make, which could be a climax in this movie where he looks to Dodger and the gang and he looks to Jenny and he realizes he has to choose between them, which if it's his story, he has to make that choice. But he's already made it's that decision. One. 45 Way minutes before ago. the climax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when he's been rescued and he I says, back to Jenny. Why, why did you take me? Right. <laughs> I had wealth and comfort. Why right. are you taking me from I that? I mean, it, it does reduce. I think that, I think what you're saying really, really helps me see my issue with it. it, it I, I thought it was so reductive, mm-hmm. right? And so, it, and we'll talk about this with characters, stereotypical, right? But even this positing of, of, um, CD wealth, right, with Sykes versus the the disenfranchised poor with Fagan, right? That's not a conflict. It's a st- sort of it's it's played out in these these huge stereotypes in this, and like like it could it could have been interesting if Fagan weren't as lovable as he is, right? Uh, and Sykes, and we get a little bit more about Sykes too. I think we would need a lot more actually about Sykes than we than we get in the movie right now, but. I'm willing to let Sykes just be the supervillain. I mean, <laughs> I am willing in, in my version that's in my head, like, fine, he can be over here and, and uh, you know, he, he doesn't get as much screen time and he's the worst. He's the I mean, the weirdest body. thing about this movie is Oliver does have an enemy, um, but that conflict never really happens. His enemy is Georgette. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgette clearly is the opposite of Oliver. She's been pampered and spoiled her whole life. Uh, she she values the wrong things. Uh, she values being a champion. Uh, it is all about, for her, the act of being loved by others rather than the act of giving love. Georgette conspires a little bit to get rid of Oliver, although conspires is a little bit strong. She laughs when Jenny is upset that Oliver is gone. Um, like, there should be a dog, I dare say, a dog versus cat conflict is not is not something that has never been done before. Right. right. But nothing comes of it. 
and, well, and, and, and I, I I'm thinking again about this adaptation, right? Thinking about um, Georgette's character, I kept waiting for her there to be a twist, like maybe she was one of Fagin's dogs who got adopted, or maybe they found her that way, or she was the Nancy character, right? That's what I kept kind of... Really a Georgette cute. with a past would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I kept waiting for there to be some depth to it, just as opposed to her just being a she-she dog, right? Um but there, and there's I, no I think, there. But I think I think Gabriel's right in that this is reductive. Like we wish that we had, we wish that we had Oliver Twist, right? And that's the beauty of of Oliver Twist, and the reason I read it when I was in the third grade was it, it's, it's like the, the best book, it's, right? It's so good. It's so I'm good. a big it, Dickens fan, and, and this is the worst thing you can do in adaptation, which is make make the audience long for the original, right? Thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the worst. <laughs> You got to you got to somehow make it its own and make it make it not necessarily better but make it its own make it make it something that that stands on its own in conversation. And if you're going to do then, Oliver Twist with dogs, you should do Oliver Twist with dogs, right? There's a lot here that's missing. Um and and you know we've talked about it a little bit, you know, the beginning, we don't have a lot of pathos with Oliver, right? Because we don't know him. Um there's not a lot of empathy and um yeah. Plot-wise, I think it almost functions like a musical review Interesting. rather than a musical. The songs right? came they, first and then they... Big song. <laughs> right. And then they tried to thread it. And we'll, we'll piece it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stitch. <laughs> we'll know? stitch it together. Yeah. And um, it, we can't make Georgette a villain and we can't make Billy Joel a villain because you got Bette and Billy. <laughs> so they've got to be good. Oh, Bette's a great villain. She would, I think she would she have really would. enjoyed being I mean, a we've seen her be a great... Yeah. We've yeah. seen her be a great villain in so many other yeah. things. Um, yeah. I also I also want to throw out here the falling action of this. What's really weird is after everything's been sorted and uh, we see like Fagin and the dogs come over to Jenny's house for dinner. Fagin seems to bond with the butler, but we actually see Fagin's just going to get himself into money trouble again. He's made a bet with with the butler and now he has to try to skip out on this. But the movie actually ends on all of the dogs singing and dancing on top of the streets, uh, reprising um, uh, "Why should I worry? Why should I?" Yeah, you know, Saver Fair, um, and not on Oliver. <laughs> we end on Oliver and company. This should be, should company, be company and, and Oliver. Oliver. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. We're we're seeing we're seeing the dogs, and and I and I get that because because they're the exciting characters, but but Oliver. But what about this character, Oliver, who that and for me, there's a disconnect on that ending. I'm seeing yeah. almost everybody's else's lives and not really Oliver's at all. Which leads into our our, our, our segment that we like to call protagonist problems. Um, we've alluded to this a little bit. Who is the protagonist of this movie? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you you get to be the protagonist and you get to be the protagonist. I mean, but he's not he's, he's not wrong. Everybody is the protagonist except the person who's supposed to be. Maybe maybe Francis and Einstein, I would say, are clearly not. Um Yes, but <laughs> but, but almost. But everybody else, almost everybody else that maybe Tito. Tito's a really great supporting character, actually, aside from the stereotypes. You know, but I, I think that's one place where like, oh, okay, that's good. You, Tito's Tito's pulling a, a, a B plot pretty well. Uh, He's definitely this, the deuteragonist in a sea of protagonists. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Because. Uh, but yeah, it is. It you, is that. you could. They, once the song is introduced, they take over. You could <laughs> argue Dodger the is the protagonist of this story because Dodger is the character who is flawed and needs to change and grow. Dodger's kind of the leader of the dogs and the decisions get made more by Dodger uh, than by any other character, which is usually a sign that you're a protagonist. Um, except I don't think that he is. And I have, I mean, we'll talk more about this with Dodger in a second, uh, but I have trouble getting inside of Dodger. The interiority isn't really there. You could make the case that it's Fagin because actually Fagin goes through a dark midnight of the soul where he almost crosses the line to damnation and then yep. steps back from the brink because he just can't go to the dark place that Sykes wants him to go to. Um, but these things 
need to be falling. If Oliver is going to be positioned as the protagonist, he needs to be making decisions. He needs to resist temptation. He, it, these things need to fall on him and it's just getting strewn out little bits of protagonist function on everybody, which almost makes nobody the protagonist of the story. If everyone's the protagonist, he has, he has nobody no is. Yeah, right. exactly. He has, he has very little agency. And I mean, he does make some choices, but they're, they're not necessarily crucial, yeah. right? They're not, they're not survival oriented. Uh, aside from that sort of feistiness, I, I'll go back to that as his, as the thing to latch on to. Uh, I would argue with you, Larry, that I, I, I strongly think it's Fagan. And because of the emotional investment, yeah. too, because we, we're we just seeing Songy, Dodgers, happy-go-lucky, why should I worry? Why should I care? Well, why should we care? Yeah, if you guys right? aren't going to be upset <laughs> about what happens Fagan. to you, why are you coming to me? Yeah. Keep singing, Billy. <laughs> Keep singing. Keep singing and playing the piano. I'm with you. But, like, when we get to Fagan, I, I start to, you know, I start to be manipulated by the right mm-hmm. in the ways that I think they want me to, which is like, oh, this guy's living on a boat. He's clearly had no, you know, no good fortune in his life. He's gotten involved with seedy people. He's obviously got a great heart. You know, he's got all these animals. He's taking he's layered of, and he's, he's, yeah, he's fallen into some bad times. All right. I'm with him. Let's see what, let's see what happens to mm-hmm. him, but it's all about, you gotta, him. you gotta make a choice at a certain point as to who your primary protagonist is. And there's like sort of a math to it. When, when you have a protagonist, you have to pull that function from other characters who would upstage your protagonist and really make it their story. And in the attempt to make everyone likable, with the exception of our villain, um, you, none of them really have edges the way that they're supposed to have edges. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a, I'm generally, I, it's a, as an audience member, I have a generalized desire to see good things happen to these characters, mm-hmm. but I'm not, but it's generalized and it's not specifically rooted in Oliver and it needs to be. Well, let's dig into these characters in specific. Um, my big contention with Oliver is that he needs an arc and I yeah. don't understand why the gang keeps going back from him because he's a problem to them, not really an asset. Um yeah. And the only reason they do it, I think, is for Fagan to kidnap him. <laughs> I think that's like, oh, how are we going to do that? Oh, I know how, you know, it's, yeah. But, he, but Fagan doesn't even kidnap him. Fagan gets him put on his lap. Right. And it, 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 that happens to him. It's not like Fagan says, oh, he's where? Let's go right. and, and rescue him to do that. Fagan's not part of the rescue mission. Fagan is at, right. in the boat, you know? Right. Um, and it happens. Yeah. So Oliver is just... Kind of, he's a, he's more Floating he's more MacGuffin than he is. He's more an object on which yeah. other characters rest the plot upon than he is a character who makes choices and goes through an arc, and that's unfortunate because because you can do that. Uh, There's a the, meal to be made for sure. It's just not here, sadly. Yeah. I, I wonder if I mean you know this is getting into a lot of speculation, but to me, if it really feels like and. Thanks for all that history, Andy, because that, that knowing there were like t- 10 chefs in the room <laughs> helps me see. This does okay, feel like a too many cooks situation, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it does. I, it, it feels like they, they really are underestimating their audience, mm. the kids, right? Like that, that, that they can handle those, those dark things that they could, you know, that they, that they're actually craving story that has that kind of substantive uh, feel to it. And, and this, again, it just felt like, well, let's, let's just have a romp. Hear me be the other protagonist prop side of the protagonist problem is there are simply too many characters for an hour and nine minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, oh, this yeah. because the dogs are always together and there are what six of them and a cat, uh, mm-hmm. five of them and a cat, something along those lines. Um, there is no opportunity for private moments between them. Good. Oliver and Dodger right. have a moment together at the beginning where Dodger meets Oliver. But as soon as Oliver follows Dodger to the other dogs, it is an ensemble piece and he doesn't get opportunities to establish individual relationships with the individual dogs. And that includes Dodger. Mm-hmm. He's just got a generalized relationship with all of them. And I, you know, the movie would probably be better if it was just Dodger and Oliver. And and yeah. I like the other dogs. 
don't get me wrong. This is Andy. Andy's feeling is 101 Dalmatians is not enough Dalmatians, more dogs. But but in this not, partic- no, but not in this case. In this case, I'm with you. I think there. Oh, yeah, I think we could have my brain is going bouncing around, going, "What does he want? What do they want? Somebody wants something." Well, okay, we're back if to Dodger. The if what do Dodger they want again? Is a yeah. lone dog who's like, I survived in New York by myself and looking out for number one. And yes. then he meets this cat and despite himself forms a friendship with that cat and they become like brothers. And now there's one person that Dodger cares about. And then that cat gets adopted by a human and it feels like a betrayal to mm-hmm. Dodger. Dodger tries to rescue the cat, but the cat doesn't want to be rescued. That is something real it's it's that that is so tight it's about a relationship between two characters that becomes very intense falls apart and then needs to be reestablished. but when when dodger has five other people who are also dependent on him uh, and a human master who let's face it dodger is the brains of the operation not fagan um you know, like the clown. Like he's got plenty. He's got plenty of other support. What does he need Oliver for? I feel like we could have. I, I love that, Larry. I think. I think that's that's a great that's a great pitch. I I think there's room for those other dogs, but not in the same way. Like not in the like under the same roof in the same household, right? But these are like his um, associates in the streets, right? We meet them. They they help us push the plot along, or they complicate things. Um, they're set pieces mm-hmm. in a way. They become they become part of that you know that the woods of Act Two. <laughs> That's always really hard to to figure out. But I, I you know I would hate to lose them entirely. I, I think there is room to have them, but to to embrace them for what they are, right? Yeah. Um, with this, the way that they're positioned in this, it it does mean that they need sort of mini arcs and some of them get it, some of them don't, and it's just almost almost like a road movie where you see you know they're. They're together and then they have to solve a problem and then they're meeting dogs along the way that help them give them another piece of the puzzle, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, or not. Or, or right. complicate or, or things. Or right. Exactly. Yeah. I almost wish that maybe Andrew Lloyd Webber could have gotten a hold of this and called <laughs> it dogs and we could have had a whole new At the Winter Garden genre. Theater now and forever. Yes. yes. Exactly. Oh, boy. Yes. But then we would see dog butts and dog butts. edit it out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a conversation for another day, to be sure. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Dodger because I, I have to tell you, there's a couple of reasons I'm not. I love Billy Joel. Sure. I don't like Dodger. And if ever a movie was calling out for a save the cat moment. That would establish that your character has redeeming value. I mean, right? That has redeeming values and a softer side. But but Dodger comes on the scene and he's like, his song is, why should I worry? Why should I care? Um, And the first thing he does is cheat Oliver out of Oliver's share of the food. Oliver has to track down this deadbeat dog to get, and I don't think, even when Oliver does it, I I was watching. Is he ever going to get any of this sausage? He does not. And then, and then Dodger's like, yeah, I knew you'd follow me. And he sits down and he's got his sunglasses on. At no point does Dodger ever do the thing that makes me realize he legitimately cares about Oliver. Oliver cuddles up to him while, while Dodger is sleeping, which tells me that Oliver wants something from Dodger. But like, when you're what what happens to you when you're unconscious and a kitten crawls up next to you? I don't think that's enough to say you care about him. The other thing, and I think this is a choice: the sunglasses. Yeah, the most communicative part of the face is your eyes. It's the most expressive part of the body. And by putting sunglasses on Dodger for large sequences of this movie, it robs us of that ability to look into his soul and see what he's feeling. I under I understand the sunglasses are there to symbolize that he's cool, but it's cool in the sense of being <laughs> aloof, of right. being above it all, of not right. being connected, and which is, and we need to be connected to him. 
Agree. I mean, I th- I keep it's thinking about musical. Oliver, the, the musical, right? And I keep thinking mm-hmm. about how Oliver is, you know, cast out, hungry. I mean, he has no friends in the world and he meets Dodger, right? And Dodger immediately befriends him. I mean, love bombs him in a way and says, I yeah. have somebody I want to, you know, why does, why is there a trick at all? If anything, Dodger should share it with him and then lure him into, you know, Fagin's lair, right? This worked right. once. Yeah. It can work again. Why <laughs> right. is this a one-time only thing? I mean, plus they gain so much by having this adorable young kitten on their side because they're all full-grown right. dogs. Here's the here's the rewrite. Uh, so I, I love it that he tricks him. I mean, that's in the spirit of Dodger in the book to me and in the musical, right? He's that he's part- like, I'm gonna charm you, charm you, charm you. I'm gonna take this handkerchief, but you get you get blamed for it, right? Um, that, but then the rewrite is. Uh, you know, he Oliver confronts him in a in a back alley somewhere, and the other dogs that are now the the family, the gang, come around and they see the sausage and they're trying to take it uh, from. Uh, you know, he throws it to to Oliver, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and Oliver's trying to protect it and is going to lose, obviously. And then Dodger steps and he literally saves right. the cat, Larry. Right? He says, "Okay, I can't let this the he, this this guy's feisty. He's got spunk. I'm gonna I'm gonna protect him in this instance, right? I'm gonna stand up for him." Um, I think that would be, that'd be great. We, we could then be on his side, but then it doesn't solve the protagonist problem again, you know, cause th- to me, that's Dodger's story and mm-hmm. it's going to remain Dodger's story, you know, cause he's got the, he's got the conflict. If he's, the movie he's, wants he's to be Dodger and company instead of Oliver and company, it can be. Yeah, remember right. the toys, the toys were yeah. mostly Dodger. I mean, I remember having like a Dodger Christmas. I, I have one mm-hmm. that's like a little finger puppet. You stick it, you stick a single finger into the back and you, and you make a move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I and honestly, as I remembered this movie, I didn't remember the cat. I just remembered the dogs. Nobody yeah. did. I don't think <laughs> anybody does. I, I didn't. I'm speaking yeah. for myself. I let's didn't. talk about Fagin and I feel like Blake's Let's talk that, about Fagin and example. Sykes real quick. Um, what do we? What? What's happening? Because that seems like the biggest. I don't in understand Sykes's business model. That's terrible. How is he rich? I'm like, really? Yeah, exactly. Like, why does he need money from Fagin? He looked at Fagin and was like, like this guy's going to pay me back? This guy? Right. You have to yeah, the guy You have to eventually say that, like, Sykes, Sykes is p- basically um, playing um, most dangerous game with Fagin. Mm. Um, it's like the only reason to give money to Fagin is to get the opportunity to hunt him later. Uh, because there's nothing about we don't know what Fagan borrowed the money for, and why Sykes would even think there was a chance of recouping on this investment. Uh, I also have to tell you about Sykes. I don't get him, and I don't. I don't mean the performance is bad, but he, at a certain point, you just have to write off your bad business deal. Okay, Uh, but this dude decides to drive his car down subway stairs into the subway onto the rails. And for what? For what? Why is he? Why is he so psycho crazy? (laughs) No one has done anything to Sykes big enough to warrant Sykes having this. Cruella de Vil style yeah. uh, driving sequence. It He's been so calm for most of this movie. I What, a cat like tried to scratch him? What, what are the stakes in this for Sykes? This, Why does he care about is, any of this? At a certain, he, he's not hurting for money. He could kill Fagin tomorrow. If he needs to, you know, there's no, there's no rush on, and there's no urgency, no rush on any of this. I don't know why he suddenly wants to kidnap Jenny. Uh, well, I think it's for the 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 money, and because he, he tells Fagan, you know, consider ha- our account closed or whatever. But but he has money. Do, do, it's not it's not like Ma- Madame Medusa in the Rescuers is. At the bottom of her barrel trying to get a diamond. This dude, like, to add kidnapping to the list of crimes that he's doing on a whim. 
Uh, he's a lone shark. Like, I mean, it's, it, I just don't know, guys. It, it's, you know, Dickens, uh, I'm going to, you know, again, go back to like Dickens did it yes. better, right? Like, Fagin is the antagonist. Fagin is mm-hmm. the villain in ultimately, right? And Sykes acts the way that he does because of Fagin's putting putting him in association with right. us, right? So, uh, and really that, the novel ultimately is a, is a meditation on what po- the choices that poverty, you know, the, that poverty dictates to people. Mm-hmm. And this is not no. that. <laughs> no. I mean, again, it's like, you know, Sykes has no stakes. I, I don't, I don't understand. I'm, I'm with you, Larry. I don't, I don't understand why he, why he wants what he wants other than uh, he's just a psycho. He's psychotic. At one point when he kidnapped Jenny, I thought maybe we would have an aha moment. Like maybe he's related to Jenny in some way. Maybe this is Jenny's father in some way. Like what is, what is, what Mm -hmm. is his relationship to this girl that he would go as far as, as kidnapping, but, but we didn't get that. I think if you, I, I think the one, the, the biggest miss of this movie for me is that they don't really understand the themes of Oliver Twist. Because as, even, as you said, Gabriel, like, like this is about the choice, the forced choice of people in poverty and the things that they do and why their ethics are a little slippery. Right. And, and, and what else are, and what else are they going to do? Right. Um, or at least that's how it seems to them. Right. And then you have this, yeah. you know, Oliver who kind of lives in both worlds, right? Yeah. Thematically, the the, this it. isn't working. Yeah. Sykes exists was writing for as a model for it's it's tr- arguably one of the most powerful relationships in the movie. Is we see this relationship play out that is an abusive relationship where the woman stays in the relationship despite all the red flags and is ultimately murdered uh, by, by her abuser. Mm-hmm. That is what Sykes is in this. He's a loan shark. And I guess mm-hmm. like I, there's not that look, some people do get indebted to loan shark. I, I understand that, but it's not the same Thing. You know you're not supposed to get into a relationship with a loan shark, and that relationship is not an emotional one. It is a very bad yeah. business practice that you entered into when you were when you were vulnerable and need to get out of, but it's not personal in the way that it is in the musical. And it just doesn't have that it doesn't have that resonance. I would like it if Jesse's idea was was something that they did that that actually the reason that Jenny has this high high uh, lifestyle is because her dad is actually a loan shark, and that that maybe we could make a conversation about systemic class issues and 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 pre- yeah. I, that might not be Disney fair. That might need that might need to go to a different studio. But it'd mm-hmm. be something. I think Disney's doing that okay these days. I, I think Disney. I, yeah. yeah, I think it would be fine. I think this is again. I think this is one of those. They want to yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The uh, can we talk about misogyny? Yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we watched. We watched this with our um, eight-year-old son, and when I was watching it, I I was just like, oh, oh, oh! I don't want him to see some of these things, right? And as you were t- talking about it, you know, I think about Dickens' intention with. I mean that are arguably the most misogynistic kind of character. Right. But he's critiquing misogyny in this misogyny is fun. It's a song. It's a whistling. It's a cat right. calling. My right? youngest like, got very mad. Uh, like, it, and that sexual harassment and that sexual harassment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like we actually do need to debrief with Wilder a little bit about it, even though it's like they're animals. Right. But, but it's this, you know, it's that it's so casual. And it's and it's also received. Well sometimes it's by, received well, and sometimes characters. it's not. Right. And the idea is just keep trying to to just keep harassing women till it works, and right. then it'll yeah. pay yeah. off. Yeah. yeah, which barf. Yeah. Just well, which is the I mean, which yeah. is the nineteen eighty eight. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that is. <laughs> I mean, that's the that that is an eighties movie, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so we are going way long, but it's okay. Um, this has been, this has been a great conversation. So, uh, pitch time. If we, what should the legacy of this movie be? I mean, what, if you were given the, uh, opportunity, I guess, to turn this film into a franchise, what would you, what would you do? 
No, Go ahead. You got this one, Anybody can I, jump right in. I was just going to say, I mean, I'll start and maybe we can we can all tag team this. Right. That'd be great. Uh, I, I understand why they they bit on this, because the idea of Oliver Twist in contemporary New York City with dogs, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Music. I'm, I'm there. I can see that. I can see that world. I, I think they just they just as we said, they've missed the boat in so many ways, uh, writing wise, but concept, I think it's, there's something to it. I mean, dogs, uh, really lend themselves well to, to the orphan idea. Um, I don't know that I would put a cat in the situation, but, but, but maybe I can see the, the, the idea behind it. So my, my, uh, and what I want to say is like, go back to original premise, right? What was the original source? just can what we saw entirely and start over. I think there might be something there and look to Dickens, look to Dickens and go darker. I mean, that, that's a, uh, that's my one minute elevator pitch. Yeah. I would say Oliver twist with a twist. Right. <laughs> this is Oliver <laughs> twistless. That's what that's this right. is. Right. That's right. It's very twistless. It's based on ideas from Oliver Twist, right? Right. I, I actually thought about another Dickens classic, which I really loved Great Expectations. And I thought about what about Great Expectations for dogs? Uh, because oh, yeah. I think that oh, I think that read it. itself really well. Did you really? This week because of because of Into the Spider-Verse. I, oh, that's I decided right. to read that's right. I decided to read Great Expectations and I loved it. I loved it's a great it. Great book. It's a great book. Going back to taking the darkness out, the you know maybe this was it too, Larry. I, I didn't articulate it, and I wasn't able to articulate it in quite the same way that you were about the sort of juxtaposition of those still pastels with the um, with the animation. But like, there was something missing in the darkness of New York City, right? In 1988, that was a. I mean, it still can be, but it was a rough place to be, you know, uh, in, in a in a way that could have really been examined. Right. Um, uh, and it, it was sort of glossed over and that's not unlike the, the London that Oliver was mm-hmm. inhabiting. Right. I mean, it was the, the strata were, it was so huge between the, the, right. the wealthy and the poor, um, still is today. Right. What uh, if Bill Sykes was the mayor of yeah. New York. Mm-hmm. Right. And you could then talk about class. Yeah. You could talk about money. You could talk power. About power. I have two little mini pitches. Uh, neither is a fully developed thing. If I was making a sequel to this movie, I would play off of the idea that Oliver has a bunch of brothers and sisters who he was separated from at the beginning of this movie. And I would play off the desire that while he's happy where he is, there is a part of him that wonders what happens to all of his siblings. And he enlists Dodger's help to try and reconnect um and and you know we, we can see a bunch of cats in different circumstances mm-hmm. um the other element of a pitch that i have uh veers us away from dickens and takes a swerve towards like hardcore disney we have jenny who like her parents are absent characters in this movie which is a thing that i'm obsessed with they don't really exist um and while i liked the idea that Jesse said that maybe Sykes could have been Jenny's Jenny's parent. I think I think we could be like gearing up towards, oh, this is going to be so happy. And then we meet Jenny's mom and walking in, having not been in a Disney movie for about 20 years, is Cruella DeVille. And suddenly <gasps> everything we know changes with this dog hating villain who sees Dodger and all the other dogs and is like, I would look great in their skins. <laughs> That's how fabulous. Do we, how do we, how do, well, how I, lo- I love it. This? But how, how, do we, how do we explain Georgette, though? Well, no, <laughs> how do you explain Oliver, then? Well, no, there's a yeah. cat. A, Oliver yeah, becomes the right. bait to catch the other dogs. Ah, got it. Got it. Oh, that's, that's kind nice. of the idea. That's lovely. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that, that that's what I've got. I love it. <laughs> it's it's a tough it, one. It, this is not an easy one. Probably the best answer is we sh- we we should just let this be forgotten. I mean, you know, <laughs> we we learn from it what we can, and we move on, and we maybe and don't yet, get a ride in Disney World. And yet, this movie made a killing. I yeah. mean, it made yeah. a lot of money. And again, Shocked it was back in the day. I think Larry said this pre-production. It's back in the day when Disney released a movie. Everybody went to see it. Yeah, they wish so. they had that model now. They really do. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. Oh, well, Jesse, Gabriel, thank you so much for coming. And uh, this has been a real treat to see you both. And thank yes, you thank you so much. Us. This has been a blast. Yeah. This is fun. We're going to go debrief with Wilder now. About Good. That. Please do. Please do. Uh, Larry, what are we, what movie are we tackling next week? Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. We are tackling Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Oh, God. Um, which is the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, inevitably, there's a movie is like, Honey, why did you take the kids away from me? <laughs> Where are the kids? Where are the kids? We have no but, idea. But um, but but it's Honey, I blew up the kids next week, uh, and we'll we'll see what we'll see what comes out on the other side of that one. Awesome. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.